Well, I am Brian Legg with a better haircut, of course. Just saying. I told my buddy down here, I was a little jealous of him. He's got some spike going on. I was like, I can't do that with my hair. It's crazy. Glad you guys are here this morning. I'm thankful that you are here to worship with us. Even thankful for those of you who are joining us online. Um, if you are here this morning, I just want you to know this is a huge part of who we are, being able to fellowship together. If you are joining us online this morning, I want to encourage you. I'm glad that we have this opportunity that you can join us this way, but I just want to remind you how important it is to be here physically with your church family, to walk together, to walk in fellowship. We need you to be a part. You need to be a part. So we want you to be here with us as much as possible. Before I jump into the message this morning, I wanted to take just a few moments to talk about the building update. Um, we haven't done that in a while, kind of giving you an update on where we are, progress. Um, there's been a lot of things happening. If you have not been out there in the building expansion here recently, you need to just kind of walk through and take a look at things, where things have come. Um, we are almost done. In fact, technically, we have passed all of our inspections now. We even got our official certificate of occupancy a couple weeks ago from the county. So things are ready to roll. We're just finishing up a lot of the details to make it practical to be able to use. So we've got a lot of things happening, like technical gear going in, furniture, appliances, those kinds of things. You're still going to see a few changes that are happening over the next month or two um, because we have some materials that are back ordered that we're still waiting for them to come in and get that taken care of. So there's lots of little details that are going to be happening. Um, our hope as of today is that we're going to be able to do a grand opening sometime, hopefully mid-January. That's what we're shooting for. So just kind of listen for more details about that, and we'll be getting that to you as well. For any of you that might be available to help, tomorrow night at 5 o'clock, we're going to be moving our office furniture from storage back into the new offices, and so we can get that set up. And so we would love to have your help doing that. We're going to meet at 5 p.m. at the storage facility. It's on the corner of South Florida and Alamo. Um, it's right across the street from Chick-fil-A. I know everybody knows where that is. So right across the street there, go all the way down the driveway to the two-story building in the back. We'll meet there to start, load up a trailer, bring back what we can. And we're going to need people doing all different things, some moving heavy furniture, some be being able to assemble desks, some being able just to clean up, you know, wipe them down and stuff where they've sat in storage for a year or more as we've gotten ready for this. So we would love to have your help if you're available. Come on out and be a part of that. Okay. So this morning, we're launching a new series called The Love of God. Can you believe that we are already starting a Christmas series? I don't know about you guys, but it feels like we were just doing summer activities, and now all of a sudden, Thanksgiving has passed, we're into Christmas, and, and I hope you guys were able to have an enjoyable Thanksgiving this past week. But more importantly, my hope is that regardless of your circumstances, regardless of your situation, you were able to find a few moments to simply reflect on the amazing blessings of God in your life. No matter, the t even in the toughest moments of our lives, we still have reason to be thankful. And sometimes thankfulness is one of those things that just comes really easy, and sometimes it's a choice that we have to make, but we always have reason to be thankful. So I hope you were able to enjoy that this past week and spend some time just giving thanks to God. So as we start into this new series, I wanna start today by asking you a rhetorical question. And if you don't know what that is, that just means you're gonna think about it. I want you to ponder this. You don't have to answer out loud. Just think about it. What is love? How would you define that? What do you think about it? Maybe when I throw that question out there, maybe you think about specifically a definition of love. How would you define it? Maybe you think about how you've experienced love, maybe in a relationship or, or something there. How have you experienced love, how someone has loved you? Or maybe even you think about the way that you have loved someone else. And those are all valid expressions or experiences of love, but in its simplest form. I just wonder, how would you answer that? What is love? 
Maybe you're like me and as, as you're thinking about that, a song came to your mind. What is love? And so I was sitting this past week and you, you gotta understand, I'm gonna show you how messed up I am in the head. I was having a conversation with myself about what is love, what's going on, you know, how, how would I define that, how would I say it, and the song pops into my head, and I'm gonna take you way back, so let's see if you can remember this. Tina Turner, what's love got to do with it? Does that come to mind? Some of you, okay. And I'm not even gonna attempt to sing, but I'm gonna read words to you, and here's what I want you to notice, how the words when you read them may be a little different than what you hear when you're listening to the song. Oh, oh, what's love got to do, got to do with it, what's love? but a second-hand emotion. Man, I've sung those words a bunch of times. I've never really thought about what that means. What's love but a second-hand emotion? What's love got to do, got to do with it? Who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? So as I was thinking about that song, the next song that came to my mind goes even further back to the Righteous Brothers, You've Lost That Love and Feeling. Anybody recognize that? You've lost that love and feeling, whoa, that love and feeling. You've lost that love and feeling. Now it's gone, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. It's gone. The love and feeling is out of here. Think about it just a minute. It might be your experience of love at times, right? And as I was looking up the lyrics to make sure that I got them right, the next song that came up came up because of looking at the lyrics, and it was by the Supremes, You Can't Hurry, Love. Maybe you've recognized that one. You can't hurry love, no, you just have to wait. She said, love don't come easy, it's a game of give and take. You can't hurry love, no, you just have to wait. She said, trust, give it time, no matter how long it takes. Now, to be fair, there were some other songs that popped into my head too when I was thinking about this. And some of them I immediately thought, that's probably not the most appropriate song to use on Sunday morning as I'm talking about this. And then some others I thought, that would be a great song until I looked up the lyrics. And then I went, oh, that's really not a good song to share on a Sunday morning in this setting because I didn't want to take us down the wrong road and then spend the whole day trying to get your mind back on track of where I wanted to go. So I'm just leaving those out. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Just shows the influence of music in our lives that sometimes we don't even realize, right? So maybe you're not a song person. Maybe you're more of a sayings kind of person and there was some love idioms that popped into your head. And no, Joker, I didn't just call you an idiot. That's idiom. And you better be watching from your tree stand, I'm just saying, because I know you're out of town this morning. An idiom is a grouping of words. If you've not heard that phrase, it's a grouping of words where it means something together as a phrase, but the words in the phrase don't mean much by themselves. For example, it's raining cats and dogs. That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life but yet we all know exactly what it means, right? Do you know what that means? Okay, I'm, I'm just checking. I mean, hopefully you're still with me. So here are some common love idioms that we probably have heard or said or used somewhere along the way. Puppy love. Oh, how sweet. This one, I don't even know how this is considered an idiom, but anyway, the love of my life. That seems to make sense. How about this one, love is blind, obviously. <laughs> Some of you wives look at your husband, love is blind. Or, that's a face only a mother could love. Do not look at your spouse on this one, please. <laughs> but that's a phrase we've used probably often, right? That's a face only a mother could love. All's fair in love and war. What? Really? Think about it. 
We have a love-hate relationship. Now, I've used that one a bunch with some very unique, loving people. I'll just leave it at that. Make love, not war. That one can just stand by itself. Love makes the world go round. Doesn't make a lot of sense, but we use it all the time, right? Like I say, I'm sure you've probably used at least one or two of these at some point in your life, but there's a lot out there that defines love for us. There's songs, there's sayings, there's experiences, there's relationships, there's books we read, there's movies we watch, there's even all of that stupid Hallmark Channel stuff that everybody gets into this time of year. I live with all girls and that junk plays in my house all the time. I walk through the room and I go, I can tell you the storyline right now. She's gonna get mad at him, they're gonna kiss at the end, they're all in love, it's over, we're done, movie's done. They get mad at me for some reason because they wanna watch all the ooey gooey middle stuff. But think about it, that one word, love, it carries a lot of different meanings for us, doesn't it? We define that a lot of different ways. I can say that I love my wife and that's a deep, passionate, committed kind of love that is unique to my relationship with her. I don't love anyone else in the world the way I love my wife. But I also say I love my daughters. Another deep and committed kind of love, but very different from the love that I have for my wife. It looks very different. I'll say, I love you, man, to lots of guys around the room, people that I'm friends with. Tim Parker, I love you, man. Tom Carter, I love you, man. It doesn't matter. I can say that to a lot of different people. I love you. And it means something powerful because that's a deep friendship that I have with these guys that I'm saying that to, but it's a completely different kind of love than when I say I love my wife or when I say I love my daughters or even when I say I love my parents. Interestingly, though, we use that same word, love, to mean something completely different as well. I love steak and baked potato. I do. I love it. I love my truck. Okay. Same word, completely different context, completely different meaning. Steak's great, but I don't love it the same as I love my wife. That would just be weird. If you're caressing your steak, let me know. I know a good counselor I can refer you to, okay? We say it for things like that, but it means something completely different. If you name your vehicle, that's borderline, okay, I I can see that. If you're kissing the hood when you wash it, you have a problem, please go to Next Steps. Tim and Joni or Joe and Crystal will be glad to talk with you and pray with you. But we use the same word. Think about it. Even our pets, I say I love my dog. And now that's a relationship at least, it's not steak and baked potato, but it's different than all of our other relationships. In reality, that's probably as close to the perfect relationship as you can get. Think about it. My dog listens to me all the time. My dog is obedient probably 95% of the time when I tell my dog to do something. My dog is always excited to see me, always. They love it, it's great, it's perfect. Now, some of you probably should have been up here last week repenting at the end of the message when Brian Stuyvesant was talking because I know that you would admit to the sin of loving a cat. (laughs) And that's the kind of love that I just can't condone. But Beth Carter or Andrew Vaca, wherever he is, I'll just tell you guys, there's still forgiveness and grace, even for cat lovers. Seriously, though, think about it. We use that word love so commonly to mean so many different things. 
And it represents so many different kinds of relationships, so many different kinds of feelings or responses. What is love really? Is it just a word? Is it just a saying or a topic for songs or a way that we express some kind of affection? If you go to the actual definition of it, the Oxford Dictionary defines love like this. When you use it as a noun, it says, it's an intense feeling of deep affection, usually for someone or something. It's a great interest and pleasure in something. If you use it as a verb, it's to feel deep affection for someone or something. It's to like or enjoy very much. Keep thinking about how we define it. I would suggest that the world says some other things about love that tend to affect the way we define it as well. For example, we often hear statements or phrases that suggest that the only way to really love is to embrace the opinions or standards of everybody around you. It's not enough to just accept someone like they are. We're told that we have to embrace their values, we have to embrace their beliefs, we have to embrace their understanding of love, or else it's not really love. The world also says things like, when love gets hard, just leave, just walk away. Do what's best for you. Walk away from marriage, walk away from family, walk away from friends or church. Whatever might be causing stress or pain in your life, whatever might be uncomfortable, look out for you. If it doesn't feel good, it must not really be love. But is any of that really what love is? Do any of those songs or those idioms or the relational examples or even those definitions, does any of that reflect the actual meaning of love? Do any of them paint a full or realistic picture or is it possible that they're all just our own perceptions or experiences of what love is and probably often misguided or distorted? You see, I suggest this morning that most of us fail to understand or really even to partially comprehend what love really is. I'd argue that we're all looking in the wrong places for this imitation of love that will never satisfy or fulfill us. See, my wife, she's amazing. And she loves me well even when I don't deserve it, which is most of the time. But that relationship was never intended to fill the deepest longings of love in my heart. There was no earthly relationship that was intended for that, but yet we keep looking there and then a thousand other places for that love that we need so desperately. We were created to love. We were created to experience love, but we have this distorted and warped view of every aspect of love, what it could be, what it should be in our relationships and in our lives. We live in a world that teaches us that we have to earn love we have to be good enough for somebody to want to love us. We've got to be behave in a certain way or say certain things or do certain things or be a particular type of person in order to earn the love of somebody else that we want. Think about it like this. When you started dating someone, some of you, when you start dating someone, some of you need to think way, way back when you first started dating your spouse, how did that go? What did you do? Didn't you put on your best face? I mean, you dressed up, you made sure that you looked good, you put on the right cologne, you presented yourself in the right way, you were nervous about what words you were gonna use or where you were gonna go eat or what you were gonna do. Everything was about committing to that person, spending time with that person. Everything was about them. Put on a good face, do the right thing. You had to earn their love and show them love in a special way. But I wonder, what if we didn't have to earn love. What if love was freely given and was offered to us even on our worst day where we can't stand ourselves and know that we don't deserve to be loved? Because we probably have a few of those moments, right? We know who we are, what we're like. 
What if love didn't depend on me? What if it didn't depend on my actions or behaviors or on my feelings or even on my understanding or perceptions of what love is? What if I've been defining love wrong my whole life? See, far too often, I think we listen to the voices of the world to define things for us. Far too often, we allow our experiences and our emotions to tell us a story about our reality. And far too often, those voices and experiences and emotions are wrong. We're going to the wrong source for our truth, and we're listening to a false narrative about our lives. What is the truth of love? What is love? 1 John 4 Verses seven through 10 says this about love. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. God is love. That's a huge phrase. Love isn't just something that God does, it's literally who he is. And he sent his son to live among us so that we could see and experience that love. Jesus Christ was that tangible expression to us of what true love really looks like here on earth. Fully God, fully man, he comes to earth and he models it for us and he shows us an example. He didn't just love well here on earth, he is love. He was a walking, talking expression of love for 33 years while he walked the earth. See, we think of love as something that we do or something that we feel a lot of times. But love is who God is. He's literally the author and definer of all love. Jesus modeled love in everyday words and actions, and then he showed that full expression of his love for us on the cross when he gave his life as a sacrifice so that you and I could be made right with God. See, I think most of us could say that we understand that we're saved by grace because of what Jesus did on the cross, but I'm not sure we grasp the depth of that love of what happened. Go back to verse 10 in 1 John 4, where it says, God demonstrated his love for us by sending his son, and that's that picture of real love, and then look what it says. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. God loved us enough to send his only son to die for you and me before we loved him. That's huge. He didn't send Jesus in response to our deep love of him or in response to the way that we acted towards him or our obedience or anything else. He sent Jesus to die for us when we didn't love him. In fact, Romans 5.8 says it a little more bluntly, and just to give good context, I'm gonna start in verse six. It says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. Think about that for just a minute. How many good people do you know that you'd be willing to die for? No volunteers, no hands? Think about it. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. That's the full expression of God's love for us. He sent his only son Jesus to die for you and me 
while we were still sinners. Not when we were walking towards him, not when we were expressing an interest in him. He sent his son to die an excruciating death and be a sacrifice for our sin while we were still running away from him, while we were still spitting on him in defiance, while we were still denying his very existence. That's when Jesus came. When there was no love in us for him, he loved us so much that he died in our place to save us from ourselves. That's love. It's not a feeling, it's not an expression, it's not a saying, it's the person of Jesus Christ who was born of a virgin over 2,000 years ago, lived among us for 33 years, and then took the punishment of our sins on himself as he died in our place so that we could experience right relationship with God. And let's make that personal. Because if you're anything like me, it's really easy to tell somebody else, God loves you. God loves you. No matter what you've done, no matter where you are in life, God loves you. And we mean it. We believe that. God loves you. It doesn't matter how bad you are, how far you've wandered. It doesn't matter anything about your life. God loves you. But do you believe and grasp how deeply God loves you? How much he loves you personally. Not everybody else. You. See, it's easy to tell somebody else how much God loves them, but sometimes it's difficult to recognize and embrace how much he loves me personally. Somehow we think we aren't good enough, we aren't significant enough, we've done too many terrible things, we've had too many sinful thoughts, the list just goes on and on and on. There's no way God can really love me like that. Or maybe you're like me and you try to rationalize it in your heads because you think about the, just the, the way the world is. There's over 7.9 billion people in our world today. Out of all of those people, how could God love me personally? How is that even possible? I have trouble wrapping my human brain around that, but that's part of the very character of God and his love. And Jesus illustrated that pretty uniquely in three different parables he told in Luke 15 that I wanna look at. First, he tells the story of a, uh, a woman who had 10 silver coins and she lost one. And he talks about how she'll light a lamp and look all over the house until she finds that coin and then she rejoices over finding it. Now you and I read that story and we go, seriously? You lost a coin and you're like tearing the house apart to find it? I mean, I find quarters in the laundry all the time. I, good grief, I did laundry for my daughter the other day and I got $17 out of it. That's pretty good. This lady's tearing the house apart because she can't find this one coin. But what Jesus says in the stories, he goes on and he says, in the same way as she calls her friends over to celebrate with her, the angels in heaven have great joy over just one sinner that repents. And then he goes on and he tells this other story about the lost son, or you and I might know it as the story of the prodigal son. And you're probably familiar with the story, but what's significant about it, the story is that even after the son insults his dad by asking for his inheritance while he's still alive, he's basically saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me all your money. And even after the son goes off to live in sin and shame, and after he blows all the inheritance and parties it out and has all of his fun, and even after he hits rock bottom and gets to the point where he goes, I'm going to go back and introduce myself as a servant, and maybe my dad will just take me back in as one of his slaves because they get life better than what I have right now. Even after all that, and even after the dad has another son who stays at home and behaves just right and does all the things he's supposed to do, acts well, honors him each day, we read that the dad watches for his son that's missing every day. The story tells us that when that boy hits bottom and he's humbled enough to go back, the dad sees him from a great distance and he runs to him. And you may not realize, but in that story, that's a picture of humiliation for the dad. 
Men didn't run in that day. He had to lift up his garment and basically make it inappropriate to be able to run to his son. And he did that. He embarrassed himself. He humiliated himself to run to his son. He was anxiously waiting for his boy to return, for him to come back home. Even after all that the son did to dishonor his father, he runs to him. And when the son does return, what's he do? He throws a party. He celebrates it. And then the third story that Jesus shares is about a shepherd who has a hundred sheep and one gets lost. You just heard this recently. Jesus says that shepherd leaves the 99 and he goes to look for the one until he finds it. And when he does find it, he puts it over his shoulders and he carries it back home. And then he calls his friends and his neighbors to celebrate with him because this one sheep has been found. It's been brought back into the fold. And Jesus says that's what it's like in heaven. There's more joy over one sinner coming home than over 99 others who didn't stray. Now, we have trouble wrapping our heads around that a lot of times because we go, well, what about the other 99? But he's saying, no, that one that strayed, that's more important. I want them to know how much they're loved. I want them to know how much I care. See, it doesn't matter that there are over 9.7 billion people in the world. God loves you and he loves me personally. He pursues you. No matter how far you stray, what you do, how bad you see yourself, he loves you. He loves you personally, he loves you perfectly, he loves you sacrificially, he loves you completely. And there's nothing that you can do to stop that love. Nothing that you can do to be too insignificant or too bad. In fact, the only way that you can get away from that perfect love is to blatantly choose to reject it. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says it this way. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Remember, that picture of amazing, unstoppable love was offered while you were a sinner while you were running away from God, while you were denying him, while you wanted nothing to do with him. See, if you've made the choice to follow Christ, that perfect love was pursuing you long before you made that decision. If you're here today and you haven't made that decision yet, God's pursuing you now. He's coming after you. It doesn't matter what you've done, what you've said, what you've thought, any of those things. He's waiting and he's watching anxiously. He's looking for you and inviting you to step into that perfect love that he wants to offer. And that love never ends, ever. Jeremiah 31.3 says that God has loved us with an everlasting love. Think about the meaning of that word, everlasting. That's infinity. We can't wrap our heads around that. Psalm 136, you see the phrase over and over, his faithful love endures forever. His faithful love endures forever. 26 times it's repeated in that one psalm, that one chapter. It's this call and response song where thanks is offered for something specific and then the response is his faithful love endures forever. I would encourage you, go home and read that psalm today. Think about the depth of God's love, how it endures forever. It's infinite. It's infinite. And that love that's mentioned there, that faithful love is from the Hebrew word hesed. Now I can't say the word right without spitting all over the first five rows and I'm not even gonna try because you don't want me to do that. But hesed love is that never give up when you are run out on you kind of love. That translation of faithful love is exactly right. No exceptions. We cannot escape God's perfect, faithful, forever love. 
So as we start this series today, looking at all the different aspects of God's love and how we respond to his love over the next few weeks leading up to Christmas, I want to leave you with this one question to ponder. Are you framing your understanding of God's love for you from a true biblical perspective, or are you allowing the world to distort your understanding of his love? And I know that's a little bit long, you've got to process just a little bit, but think about it. How are you framing your understanding of love? What's dictating the way you define love? Is it God's love that's pictured in the Bible, what we read and what we see and understand? Are we believing that to be true? Or are we allowing the world to tell us what love looks like and what love is in our lives? I want to challenge you to set aside some time throughout the month of December, which starts Wednesday, believe it or not. But throughout the month, I want to challenge you, dig into a biblical understanding of God's love. What does it mean when we say God loves you? Read the Christmas story. Reflect on God's love that you see in the birth of Christ. But even deeper than that, look at the ways throughout the Bible, how it points to this one story, not just to the resurrection and to the crucifixion because that's the culmination of it, but look at what Jesus did when he was here from the birth all the way through his time on earth. Look at how he portrayed his love to person after person after person, how personal it was when he loved someone. I can barely focus on anything at any one given time, and Jesus would block out everything else that was going on to focus on the one person in front of him because he loved them personally in that moment. He was with them, fully present. That's the kind of love we're talking about. Go back and look at the story, how you see that. Explore the depths of God's amazing love for you personally. Spend some time meditating on what that means to you. This morning, if you want to talk or pray with somebody, I would encourage you, you can come here to the front as always and pray. You can go back to Next Steps. Tim and Joni will be back there. The, the slide is up. It gives you the number for TBA Connect. You just text the word next to that. It brings up our digital connection card. That's an easy way that you can communicate with us and we'll follow up with you. So if you want somebody to pray with you, take opportunity to do that. But here's what I want you to do for the next few moments before the band comes. I want you to just take a few moments and meditate on the depth of God's love and I've got a video that I want you to watch that'll kind of help you do that. Pay attention to this. Get saved, because then you won't. And I got saved and kept on doing. So then where am I supposed to go? Because apparently Jesus doesn't work for me. He goes, oh, no, 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 no. We'll, we'll work through this. But I'm not letting you go in the meantime. Oh, we'll get there. I'll finish it. I started it. I'll be faithful to finish. Don't give up. Keep walking. Keep pressing in. Keep confessing. But don't give up. I'll heal you. I won't let you go. There is no one who can condemn you. I don't. And if I don't, no one can. Who will even bring a charge against you? Your mind. What court could they possibly charge you in? Everything's mine. And he is jealous for me. Love's like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. When all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory And I realize just how beautiful you are And how great your affections are for me 
eternity looked upon me foreseeing my fallenness my pride my sin and said I want that man in my family I would do anything to get him in my family I will pay for him to be in my family with my son's life that's love folks that is mega off the charts love Because he loves you. Because he loves you. That, that's why. We've got this weird compartmentalization thing that happens where you don't think that God sees all that you are or that if he could have somehow knew who you were going to be, he wouldn't have gone to the cross. Um, listen, God knew you were going to be messy. Uh, Christ knew that you were going to be messy. God, God knows that you're going to screw up often. He knows that you're going to be drawn to things that are wicked. He knows that's what the cross is all about. The whole point of the cross is that you're going to fail and you're going to stumble and you're going to feel dirty and you're going to feel awkward. And you're going to, the whole point of the cross of Christ is there be this mighty picture of his love and pursuit of you despite you. So the cross is necessary because of you, but it's also the picture we have of just how far God is willing to go because He loves you. against the church. I just think somehow we've got off and there's all this talk about morality and people are conforming themselves to these moral codes, but they don't know Jesus. Who cares? It's the resurrection of Christ that justifies. 
That's why it's so important. That's why it's so big. It proves that all the wrath of God was poured out. It's gone. For the elect, it's gone. There is no more wrath. There's, there's none. So Jesus sees you and he's like, my son, my daughter, perfect, spotless, blameless. Oh, how he loves us.